Welcome, welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. Today, I am joined by Tyson David Reese. He is a freedom fighter here in the state of Utah. He makes uh, big waves, and uh, I think he's going to go real far. Uh, it's important to me to keep these uh, these relationships open with people, regardless of uh, what avenue they take, which is exactly why I'm having him on the show. Uh, we've decided to take different paths in fighting for liberty, and in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with that. So, how you doing, Tyson? I'm doing good, Jacob. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, it's really good to, you know, just get with liberty lovers and spread the message, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, do you kind of want to give a rundown of uh, a little bit of your history uh, fighting for liberty in the state of Utah uh, and, like, what you're up to now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's see. I I was originally made a libertarian uh, by the Whiskey and Rebellion meme page. You know, I was into the a little bit of the edgy stuff as a teenager. I thought that was fun, and it was a it was a great edgy page. Um, but I was a conservative, and it really showed me what true liberty is. And by exposing myself to those ideas, I was able to come to the understanding of what principles are and and how to remain consistent with them. Um, afterwards, the Utah state legislator, uh, in early 2020 had a, a series of, of gun regulations that they were looking to pass through the legislator, a uh, big problem for me. Um, and I was, you know, really active against fighting against those with some people. Uh, I had the idea to start a podcast. I was originally going to do it with some other people. Didn't really work out too well for me uh, getting those other people on board, but I decided to go forward with Utah Liberty Talk regardless. Now, the media side didn't really work out too well for me, but it was a good launch pad for my career. I used the podcast to, you know, leverage a little bit, um, got a delegate status with the Utah Libertarian Party, um, used that to give a speech where I was contacted by Apollo Apollo, I got to give a big shout out to him. Uh, Apollo Pazell was really the one that started off my professional career in politics. Uh, he gave me a canvassing job uh, working in primarily Wyoming, but um, among you know five races uh, for libertarian candidates, most in state house, one county commission race in Colorado, where I helped get a Marshall Burt elected, the first libertarian candidate to get elected to a state house in a whole generation. So it was a big win. A big shout out to Apollo for starting off my career. Um, through that, uh, we had joint knocked with Young Americans for Liberty, and that's how I got introduced to Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, I was with Students for Liberty just before that. I started with Students for Liberty my freshman year of college. Um, and so with Students for Liberty under my belt and being a local coordinator with them, uh, I was able to get in with Young Americans for Liberty. Had to do a little bit of work, but they hired me on part-time as a state chair. Uh, I worked hard at that and, and had some good success starting the network here in Utah, and they promoted me to a full-time position. Um, and then I was with Young Americans for Liberty for a while until it was time for me to intern with the state legislator. That got cut off short for reasons we might get into later. Um, but now I'm, I'm just getting ready to graduate with my bachelor's degree in political science from Weber State University. And the whole entire time I've been, I've been principled and ideologically motivated to fight for liberty. Hell yeah. That's quite a resume so far. So that, that's <laughs> I appreciate great, that. Um, Weber State, that's uh, that's where Carl Bray, I believe, uh, attended college as well. He was the first chair of the Weber County, Liber or not Weber County, but the Utah Libertarian Party. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Very cool. Yeah, he actually had a uh, Ayn Rand Objectivist Club up on Weber State. And uh, he owned a bullion shop 
uh, th- this dude was a badass. He, he he used to dress as Paul Revere and ride his horse through Liberty Park, handing out Carl Bray dollars, telling everyone that the Federal Reserve notes were going to be worthless. <laughs> what a king! Well, that's amazing. Exactly. He was just it, <laughs> it's it's amazing. Like he he was like openly defiant of uh, like when Nixon put price controls on everything and dropped us off the gold standard that which basically started the Libertarian Party. He was in open defiance of it. He took out a full page ad in the Salt Lake Tribune and told the feds, I, I'm not going to comply with this. So that's really cool. Yeah. What a beast. I, I love to see that kind of thing, especially the activism, you know, just, just yeah. getting out there, getting people aware. A lot of that footwork's hard to do. And the people that do it always got to have so much respect for them. Yeah. I think it's interesting. We, we have a, a really great history of that here in Utah of rebellion. Um, yeah. And it, it seems like it kind of died out. It, it's been kind of downplayed for a few years. Honestly, I, I think it's on its way back. Um, people like you and I, and, and there, there's some fresh blood uh, in the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party, um, e- even in other smaller movements. There's, there's just fresh blood, and it seems like people are just really hungry for this. Yeah, well, and that's that's totally true in Utah because, you know, when you look at the history of the state, one of the things that we've always had at the bare minimum that would help the libertarian movement is the fact that we've consistently since before the inception of the state, but since we've been in, you know, a state, we've been consistently undermined by the federal government and they've always targeted us and belittled us and and always just made everything more difficult on us. Um, and we don't even get help from them uh so the whole situation just leaves a bad taste in our mouth and you know when you have a, a ripe uh and ready to go fertilization and and fields you know it gives a lot of room for seeds to blossom so what what when you realized that you were uh i i believe you were saying you were an ancap or at least that's how you yeah identify yourself what what led you to that because that, I, that's a pretty extreme um, position. Yeah, it is. Um, I would. I. I mean, I would have to say that my biggest ideological influence in that would be Murray Rothbard. Um, you know, I and and frankly, the cornerstone of that would be his book uh, for a new liberty, the Libertarian Manifesto. It's a fantastic book. It's a bit of a longer read as compared to another popular book of his, uh, The Anatomy of the State. But um, it's 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 a great read. It's it really solidified my uh position in being an anarcho-capitalist because he outlines in so many different uh perspectives in so many different industries why everything would be better done by private industry and and frankly it just it just makes no sense for us to have a government if if private industry can do everything better than the government which is which is frankly there's no data to suggest that private industry can't do better than the federal government and all the all the data suggests that it does do better than the government what what's interesting to me is like the the government doesn't provide services and there's no incentive for them to provide anything of value 
Right. Well, and that's the hard thing is when you when you get into stuff that are that are just really intricate, like uh, municipal sewage structures and stuff like that. Uh, the frankly, like I have this this thing that I always say is like government doesn't create anything; they only monopolize it. And so they kind of the only services that they would provide is something that they extort you into. And Social Security is a really good example of that. A lot of people have their four hundred one ks; they don't even need to worry about Social Security. But the the service that the government provides is something that you're just frankly extorted into and a lot of people don't need yeah and i mean they just steal your money anyways and i mean it it's uh, well i guess it's not a ponzi scheme because you know a ponzi scheme you're you're duped into paying for it whereas in social security we're actually forced into paying for it so i guess worse yeah exactly (laughs) it's much worse but it's completely unfunded i mean the the unfunded liabilities i believe is somewhere around like 25 trillion or 22 trillion somewhere like that like you and I we're we're never going to see a penny of that no, well, and at the bare minimum, even if we do get our social security checks when we get older, it's never going to make up for inflation. You're never going to get out what you bought into it. And and frankly, like just to make the case for the privatization of social security, if you were to put the same amount of money into, into a, a private investment firm that you put into social security, anyone would be worth millions by the time that they're retiring, which makes uh, inflation an, 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 a, a, an obsolete concept. So it, it really is just like, well, we're going to say that we're investing to, to help the old people and to help you save but in reality it's it's the worst investment strategy anyone could ever take and you don't have a choice yeah i mean it's not like they're trying to set up like roth iras or anything for us you know yeah it has nothing to do with them wanting to help us no not at all it's anything they do you know i i think it was uh i can't remember who said it it might have been ronald reagan it's nothing more permanent than a government uh, temporary government program like yeah ronald reagan man he's an interesting guy <laughs> he had some he had some hitters he did have some things where he's like the foremost the foremost terrifying words in the english language are i'm from the government and i'm here to help or maybe not yeah. before but you get the point but it's just like he he hit a lot of times and a lot of times it's like it's that principle and at the same time it's like people that want to phase out social security are just demonized to the utmost extent yeah, I think we saw that recently with uh, Biden's State of the Union address when he was trying to call out the Republican Party, you know, saying if anyone tries to sunset Social Security, then I'll veto it. And every like all the Republicans are up there screaming, it's like, no, we don't want to do that. And it's like, no, but you should. <laughs> It's like, well, why are you uh, when when you're called out on the national stage? Why are you not consistent with those principles? Yeah. If 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 people are saying like Mike Lee's a really good example, he was making weird faces when Biden said that. And Mike Lee, I've I mean, he's he said that he wants to phase out Social Security. One of the big reasons why I like Mike Lee. And it's yeah. like, well, hold your principles, my brother. Like yeah. you're you're out here being put on the stage. It's time to introduce people to the literature. Yeah, make make the argument. Don't back down. Don't water down the message. Yeah, it's like, not always about rhetoric. And if it is, then we need to introduce people to education so that we can withstand those artificial boundaries. Yeah, I mean, that's we elect these officials to represent us. A lot of people don't understand exactly what's going on. And so we kind of do rely upon them for the education as well. So stand by that principle and make the argument that's kind of the whole point 
Yeah, well, and and I don't blame people for not necessarily wanting to be an intricate part of it. I mean, no one wants to sit there and read over interstate commerce law no. or or sit there and read about all these little things that they do. And so there is a certain amount, which is why we have a republic where you're delegating it to the to the individual that you elect. But at the same time, it's like we need those people. They got elected because people like their ideas and we need them to hold strong to that. Yeah. Do you kind of want to give a rundown of like what the political climate is here in Utah? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, we have um, the thing is, is, is I think a lot of people in Utah, given our history and culture, are relatively principled. But I think there are two main factors that, that really take people away from that. Um, I think that the first one is the LDS church. And I'm, I myself, nine generations of my family in the LDS church, I was baptized in, I had the priesthood and all that, but I left LDS church when I was about 16 years old. Um, and uh, that's, that's for my own reasons. And I'm not going to attack anyone that's in the LDS church because I'm probably the most sympathetic ex-Mormon that anyone will ever, ever find. Uh, but with that being said, I think that um, there's, a, there's a big culture because of how highly religious we are centered around the idea that, uh, you know, these these very valuable things are important like like charity taking care of people that are less fortunate uh being kind to one another i think these are very valuable things but i think they get misconstrued in terms of how the government is enacting those things and where they get enforced and i think that's where a little bit of mix-up comes into play where people that aren't incredibly philosophically oriented or into politics uh get mixed up and they just think that well it's an easy solution to say you know we have this problem so the government should do something about it we have homelessness so the government should subsidize housing when in reality that's not the answer to the problem but it's just like the most like direct answer to where anyone can just shrug the responsibility off and just say, well, we have a solution. Um, and then the other reason why I think, you know, that, uh, you know, things are a little bit interesting here is I think so many people are, are busy with families, you know, so many people are, are so interested in, uh, enjoying the fine things in life, enjoying like the Super Bowl, enjoying watching their kids' little league games, enjoying uh, their kids being in student government or cheerleading or, you know, their progress in the church or whatever those extracurriculars might be and having all the kids that they have um, that they don't really have time to pay attention to politics, which in my ideal world wouldn't make a difference because I don't think it should have that much of an impact on our lives anyways. I think that people should have the time to enjoy those finer things in life. I would agree with that. Um, I never wanted to pay attention to politics. Like I, I didn't want to be doing any of this, but I got to a point where it's like, I agree with like, we shouldn't care about it because it shouldn't affect our lives that much, but it's gotten to a point where it affects our daily lives. And so you've kind of got to know why you shouldn't care. And it's, you know, they don't yeah. have any authority over us. So. Yeah. Ab well, absolutely. And it's just like, it's like in reality, it's like we shouldn't have to worry about, um, you know, what what kind of uh, restrictions are going to put on our vehicles through the state government. But at the same time, it's like if, if you're the kind of person that that likes to drive a fast car and now all of a sudden the government's talking about restricting that, it becomes relevant to you. And when the government's only managing things, if it is to exist, is only managing things that are relatively obsolete and don't affect your everyday life, then people can enjoy the finer things. But they are like, you know. 
like you said, for your example, when people are, are kind of forced into that position and are needing to protect their livelihoods by fighting against the government, it, it kind of forces people to become engaged. And in a lot of times, the, the rhetoric, rhetoric and propaganda in favor of government control is so strong that it affects people in the negative way and gets them on the wrong set of ideas. It's, it's rather interesting, in, in my opinion, so for anyone who doesn't know, it, we live in a fairly red state. Um, the reddest state in the union. Yeah, the reddest state in the union um, with one uh, blue circle right in the middle. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting. Um, and I, I got to say, there there's some people uh, I respect down in that blue circle um, as far as the politicians go, but there's there's a few people I don't at all. <laughs> you know, there's, there's some, uh, some people with some really bad ideas trying to enact these things. Um, there's, uh, oh, what's her name? Um, Darlene McDonald, I believe. Is yeah, she, that comes she was to running mind. against Burgess Owens in, uh, con congressional district four, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, she she is like a, a prime example of the type of propaganda that's going on hand in hand with the Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah. Know? Yeah, it's 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 really difficult. I've argued with her quite a bit. She just flat out ignores me, <laughs> you know, because, you know, what, what yeah. can you say? But. Well, and the hard thing is, is it's like, well, if, if you know, if, if Jacob, who's who's a strong position and has a very articulate argument, is arguing with you about this. But she has the listening platform to where, you know, more people are going to jump on her her boat because she just has more people that she's accessing. Then it's like, well, you don't even get the chance to hear those other ideas and she doesn't yep. have to acknowledge it. And the marketplace of ideas is suddenly dead in the name of popularity. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, just that the pop, uh, I'm not even sure what you would call that. The, the popularity culture, but there's like, um, the, the attention, the attention market, you know? Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, and it was a heated race. You know, you have a an African -Amer American man who is, uh, you know, an elected representative in the state of Utah, um, and you know, you have an African American woman challenging him. That's going to get a lot of eyes on it when you're pushing, you know, this whole idea of it's like we need to we need to make sure that we're having uh, people of all different ethnicities representing people of Utah so that you have proportional representation. Which that is what it is. I'm not going to make an argument, you know, either way on that. But you know, that one race simply because of that factor has a, an extrapolated amount of eyes on it yeah it's it's just really interesting seeing the dynamics between between people i i think it was really eye-opening and this kind of ties back into you know we we have principled people here because we just had a a, a bill pass uh h hb 215 the school, school choice, choice. Mm -hmm. and you know, it, it seems that, uh, you know, it, it was Arizona and then us. And I, I think there were some other things back east that kind of happened in between. But with, with Utah, it kind of like sparked a fire. And now there's a lot of other states coming on board um, as of right now in their legislative sessions. Um, and it was really interesting to see the reaction from the Democrats. And yeah, it, it was terrible. They like 
just the optics for them was absolutely terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that uh, I think is most noteworthy about that bill in particular, and I'm, you know, I'm a radical, so I'm like flat out school choice for every student, you know, whatever. Utah took a a very compromising position on that because not only were they willing to compromise and giving, you know, teachers a a salary raise in that, which they'd make more in the free market, but, uh, you know, not only (laughs) were they compromising and giving teachers a salary raise in that bill, but, um, you know, additionally, that that program's only limited to to 5000 students and you know sitting through the the commission meeting and sitting through the debate on the bill those the priorities are given to those 5000 students to students that are in lower income areas to students that have learning disabilities to students that really need it the most to students that are genuinely struggling in the one size fits all public education system and so the fact of the matter is is that it's it's entirely ironic that the democratic party is pushing this whole narrative that school choice is not good for these disenfranchised and less fortunate students, when in reality, this entire bill was premised around the concept of helping those students first and foremost. I mean, that's it's kind of the idea of school choice in general. Yeah. Um, I Speaking of uh, Darlene McDonald, I, I had argued against her that, uh, you know, she was arguing this is attacking public school and everything. And I'm tried to use uh, their language against her and said, you, you are, you know, taking away a woman's right to choose to be able to educate her children the way that she wants to. So this is something you should be supportive of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. It's a lack of consistency. Yeah. Cause and, they only want people to choose when it supports their agenda. And that and, goes on both sides. Oh, Oh, it completely does. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting, too. I I wish I would have had this pulled up. It has been kind of a scandal here in Utah. There was a a video release not too long after uh, House Bill 215 passed where some teachers, I I believe, in South Jordan were talking about uh, how they were going to ignore some of the laws or regulations regarding, like, critical race theory and things like that. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I do believe that that and and I could be wrong. I could totally be wrong. I do believe that that was a member of the Utah Board of Education um, based off of what I was aware of. But I could be wrong about that. Um, But that that drew a lot of attention to it and and really kind of fueled the fire of it's like, well, we don't want our children to be taught these things. We don't want our children to be, uh, you know, taught. You know, whether it's exposed to these ideas or whether it's taught to hate themselves because of their skin color, I'm not going to pick a side on the race issue um, or the critical race theory issue. But what it did thing, what it did is, is it did two things is it's one. Now the Democrats can ignore it and say that it's not a real thing and that it's conspiracy theory, uh, which we all kind of (laughs) knew. But they were like, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. What is critical race theory? It's not even being taught in our school. So it kind of exposed that first and foremost. And then second of all, it just like fueled the fire. It's like, well. If, if parents don't believe that their children should be taught certain things, then yeah, they shouldn't have to send them to those schools. Yeah, exactly. Like if you, if you want your kids to be taught critical race theory, um, who am I to stop you? And yeah, you, you should have every right to educate your child that way. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's not the prerogative of society to determine what each individual, you know, set of parents decides to, or parent decides to teach their children. And it's not the prerogative of the government, and it's certainly not the prerogative of some elitist columnists for the Salt Lake Tribune or people (laughs) that can afford to run a congressional race. 
Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. It, you know, I, I went to a meeting, uh, to get questions answered about, uh, HB 215 before it had passed. And the one criticism I heard, which was just ridiculous to me was that, uh, you know, how can we guarantee that parents are going to educate their children, you know, and be effective and all this stuff. And it's like, well, first of all, it's none of your business, you know, like, first and foremost, yeah, first and foremost, none of your business. Second of all, any parent who is not taking their child's education seriously is not going to be applying for this in the first place because they don't even care about their child's education anyways. That's a great so, point. Yeah, like, that's that's a really great point. And and frankly, it just it just comes down to the fact where it's like, you know, it kind of ties back into the, you know, Senate Bill 16 with the with, you know, blocking the treatments for transgenders. At the end yep. of the day, I'm just like well, don't we have like, whether it's left or the right, don't a lot of people in society have a problem, whether it's work or education, the people feel like that their children are being put through the system and molded into a certain tiny little box and, you know, taught how they need to conform to society and all these things. Um, isn't it kind of like, both sides should kind of be like, you know what, we need to tailor each individual to their own abilities. And I yeah. call me a radical, but <laughs> I mean, I just think that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Like go, go figure, like we, we should uh, figure out what people are good at and, you know, embrace that and kind of lead them down that path instead of forcing them all into a one particular tube. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and I get the idea that it's like we need to have a standard level of education. I think that's fine to a degree as long as people choose that their children need that. But if you have someone that's yeah, like, like myself, I, <laughs> dude, there's no reason like I get it up until seventh grade. I get why I should have learned math because I can go to the yeah. grocery store and I can be like, OK, this is the price per ounce on this. This is the price per ounce on this. I get that. After seventh grade, there was nothing that I learned in math that ever helped me. There's no reason that I should have been forced. And I'm still bad at math, but that has no <laughs> effect on me. That just yeah. does, has no implications on my everyday life. And when you're doing that to every student in a multitude of areas, it ultimately stifles the growth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm of the person who says, you know, in government involvement in schooling, period. Absolutely. Yeah, like, there, there's I, no I, I don't want any standards. I don't want them saying you have to have a diploma, like nothing. No, not at all. And and I think one of the, the, the biggest ways that we've gone wrong on this is even so, like, for example, you can drop out of high school when you're 16 years old. But if you remain in school and you're 16 years old, you still have compulsory attendance laws. And so what I don't understand, it's like, well, why don't you let children pick and choose their courses and choose to work whether or not? And besides the whole fact that it's like they shouldn't have compulsory attendance whatsoever. Yeah. But, you know, regardless of the fact that it's like there's there's zero flexibility in the system. And it's like you either have to screw yourself now forever because of the system that we've created or you have to entirely conform to it. And we're not even willing to work with you. And that's like what I think yeah. is the biggest problem is it's like, well, it, we do have a government. I don't think you know we necessarily should but if we are to have a government then at least make systems that are flexible so that we can have a more prosperous society yeah be able to opt out yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and, and make it not so difficult but also i i always said uh you know let's let's put school choice to the test 
let's open up the government to free market and have them compete. Because if, if public education is the right answer, then in the free market, people will end up flocking to that and it will win. That's the thing is you, and that's the ultimate thing is you got to be willing to put faith in the things that you know will work, right? As as capitalists, as as market enthusiasts, we know that that competition breeds innovation and breeds the best results. And and frankly, we always have to be willing to put that to the test. And I think that one of yeah. the one of the I guess for lack of a better term, handicaps that the two party have two parties have is that they're so unwilling to actually enact the ideas that they that they campaign on or they put into place and at the end of the day it's just like well you know obamacare for example that did nothing yeah. to help the healthcare situation in america in fact you could make the argument that it's much worse and so oh much you know, worse so it's like <laughs> didn't even get to keep my doctor <laughs> yeah, exactly and they and they said you could that's yeah. and this whole problem is so it's like you're gonna you're gonna you know say that you believe in these things and that you want to put them to the you know you want to enact them for the people because it's going to help but you're never going to put them to the test and when you do you shy out on it so that the whole entire thing is diluted and it's not the authentic version anyways i i agree and uh, you know that's that's where i think the third party comes in um any third party option really needs to be kind of uh, not necessarily the deciding factor, but needs to be a voice of reason. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the best things that the libertarian party does and, and third parties do do respectively, but frankly, the only real third party there is, is a libertarian party is they move. It's the concept of the Overton window. You know, you have debate that relies in here. And when you have someone bring, you know, the debate out here a little bit more then it forces the other side to come a little bit this way. And the Libertarian Party does a really good job at, at moving that Overton window and forcing people to talk about issues that, um, you know, are a bit more ideologically motivated or are a bit more radical in the sense of like, we need to actually facilitate markets here and we can't act like we're facilitating markets without actually facilitating them and then yep. claim we are because the whole thing breaks down. Exactly. Um it's only radical in, you know, if people haven't heard these ideas before. So yeah, it's the philosophy I, of common sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I ran, um, in house district nine, um, against Cal Musselman and, you know, I, I was actually quoted in the, uh, standard examiner as saying that we should end government involvement schooling period. And that was my quote. And I'm super proud of that. Yeah. You know, and that is a really radical idea right now, but a couple of years down the road, it's not going to be that radical. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is I think so many people are like, well, and I, if I'm going to be honest, like, I, I just think that it comes back to uncreative solutions. I think that so many people are just willing to say, well, the government should do it. The government should handle education. Oh, and it's, it's like, worst. if you get, if you just think just a little outside beyond that and put a little bit of elbow grease into what makes certain things work certain things work you can see that markets very clearly work in an abundance of industries all of them and and if you look at the data if you look at the results if you look at where it's been implemented there's no reason to suggest that it doesn't so frankly it's like we need to uh go gung-ho on that we need to make sure that we are remaining solid on that we need to make sure that uh you know we're we're facilitating the markets we need to make sure that we are 
continuing to move that Overton window and the marketplace of ideas into the guide it into the direction that it needs to be going. Well, and we need to hold people ideologically, ideologically um, accountable. Yeah. For for what they're pushing, um, and uh, you know, I don't enjoy everyone in the Utah GOP, but there's definitely a lot of people that that I would stand beside that I would endorse. Yeah. Well, and I think a really good example of this is, you know, um, one of the ones that constantly just that rings on my mind is Ryan Wilcox with criminal justice reform. You know, he, he sits on the chair of, uh, law enforcement and criminal justice, and he does such a good job at, at remaining conscientious and, and always pushing for, for more criminal justice reform. And, and frankly, I think that a lot of his work, you see a lot of the positive repercussions from, and you see a lot of ways where, you know, the clean slate act or making it so that mere possession of, of drugs is no longer a felony in the state of Utah. You see these massive steps in the right direction. And there are people that are, that are very consistent on the, on these ideas. Um, I think one of the biggest problems that we have though, is that it's so hard within the, you know, really a single party system to identify who those people are. And then we kind of circle back to what we were talking about is we, it's very hard to keep people ideologically accountable when you're split between, well, it's a Republican and a Democrat and Republicans are better than a Democrat. Like if I think a Republican sucks, I'm not going to vote for him. It's just plain and simple, but most people don't have the, the time or the passion to be as familiar with their candidates as, as it would take to enact those sorts of things. I completely agree. Um, honestly, that's why I'm kind of glad for, uh, you know, places like, uh, the Libertas Institute, and uh, oh Americ Americans for Prosperity, you know, yow, it, it, these these people really do care about people in these certain areas, and it's important to me because not everyone is going to care. Like that, that was the biggest like wake up call when I first started getting involved. Is just everyone is so checked out. Nobody wants anything political like it's still one like one of the things you shouldn't talk about you shouldn't talk about religion money or politics and it's like those are my three favorite things to talk about <laughs> you know it gets rid of all the juicy conversations exactly it's like where's all the conflict where where's the progress but yeah. you know it's i i am very thankful for these institutions and um that that's why i'm also thankful for the the new blood that's been breathed into uh, the Libertarian Party because for, for a long time, uh, Libertarian Party was a mover and shaker and it kind of died out for a little bit. And so, you know, we're on our way back to join the ranks of everyone else. And uh, honestly, I, I think Utah has a, has a bright future and uh, I have every intention of getting it much closer to uh, the freedom status of New Hampshire. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that, uh, yeah, New Hampshire's a, a interesting state when it comes to how they get things through the legislature. You know, they've, <laughs> yeah. they've got quite the herd of cats when it comes to the legislature that they have out there. Um, but I, frankly, I, I've so many good things to say about the Libertas Institute. You know, they, they yep. do such a phenomenal job. And the way that they're able to tailor issues to individuals' passions and desires and, and you know, what things people care about, they do, they do such a phenomenal job. Um, I think they've been such a such a huge mitochondria 
in the state of Utah and making it a, a more pro-liberty state. Um, and yeah, I, I frankly think that, I mean, I would make the argument that, you know, Utah is better than New Hampshire, not necessarily because of, you know, necessarily laws. I think society has a lot to do with it, but we're yeah. so up there in, in not only the, the laws that we do enact that are pro-liberty, but just the, just the potential that we have due to our, our structure, our think tank structure, the way that the GOP is headed, the way that the Libertarian Party of Utah is headed, where we're moving that Overton window, uh, the people that are becoming involved. Um, I think, I frankly think that it's, it's got a really bright future ahead. And, yeah, you know, the, the thing that scares me, though, the most about it is that we're the youngest state in the union. And, you know, having not only in my own university, but having spent a lot of time in universities, particularly in Utah with Young Americans for Liberty, um, a lot of the people that are heavily politically involved uh, lean very far to the left. They're outright socialists. Yeah. And that's the part that, that does scare me a bit. But I think that if we can solidify these things while we do have this window of opportunity, it would be drastically uh, impactful in our ability to uh, maintain a liberty-oriented uh, you know, space that we're heading into uh, in terms of longevity of our state's strategies and, and where we're actually headed. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, there, there does seem to be quite the communist and socialist uh, uprising here in Utah. Honestly, I just kind of want to corral the commies in Salt Lake, just keep them there. You know? Yeah, well, and, you know, one of the things, and I don't know, really, I, there's not, I don't really think there's a, li a correct libertarian position on this. But frankly, like, I'm just like, yeah, gerrymander Salt Lake. Like, get him out of here. I'm just like, you know what? Like, you know, and, and frankly, I'm just like, well, you know, the state is majority Republican controlled. And I do think that we see there are a few instances where we do see Democrats. Um, like, for example, I think the Libertas Institute is uh, working very hard and carefully with uh Democratic Senator Minority Leader uh, Lou Escamilla on a bill that would allow for psilocybin to be used in a therapeutic setting, which I think is a phenomenal step in the right direction. Yes. Um, so we do see instances, particularly on the criminal justice side and you know the uh, drug war side with the Democrats, but the the hardest part about it is the the foundations that that make libertarianism work are the markets and when you have an yeah. opposition that's just so heavily rejecting that it's like it's so detrimental to our ability to continue to move forward in a in a mode of prosperity and so that's why i'm like and and frankly i don't think that the this one city where you know these highly urbanized cities are they're never a representation of the state uh, in its whole and Frankly, I think if we have the political tools to make liberty work to a greater degree than it is, then we need to use them. And I and I think that's partially where uh, maybe some liberty-minded people in the past have have not been able to succeed is is where they're not saying, well, this aspect of a politics called gerrymandering. Um, you know, it hasn't been utilized, and therefore we haven't been able to uh, 
work to make sure that you know more liberty minded people are are coming into office um and when you don't when you don't jump on the and as much as i hate the game of politics if you're not willing to jump on that gun then it, you're you're gonna lose and that's just the rules of the game as much as i like the super bowl like it's a holding yep. call hate to see it by the book you know it is do i think it should be called not necessarily but you know it's like well you got to use the rules to your advantage at the end of the day and yep. if you don't you're probably going to lose well, and there's there's something else I I think that really gets overlooked in the liberty movement as a whole, and that's culture control. Mm, go ahead, I want to hear more about this. So, with, with without control of the culture, influence in the culture, we'll we'll lose politics. Politics is downstream from culture, and largely the left has been very successful at hijacking and influencing culture to a point where these are radical ideas of, you know, freeing up the market. Like that's, that's why they're radical ideas in the first place is because people haven't even been exposed to them because the left has been so good at hijacking everything. I mean, we're talking entertainment, music, art, everything. Yeah. And, and we, we just need more influence in that. And so it's, it's kind of a, a, a dualistic system here. We need to be influencing culture just as much as politics. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question. So, um, and frankly, I think the culture war is is you know probably one of the harder things to get involved with, and it almost seems impossible to influence culture without you know getting involved in the culture war. But I think one of the things that has made the left so successful with this is a lot of the premises around the the culture things that they're pushing and socialism are very hedonistic, and they're very much like given to your natural desires. You know, if you want to. Um, you know, and I'm not going to say, you know, any, like people should, you know, do what they want to do. But if you're if you're talking about uh, the primarily progressive filled sexual revolution, for example, um, these are these are hedonistic ideas that have been historically pushed by the left. And I'm not necessarily saying that the government should become involved with them, but they're an example of how they've influenced culture and an example of how they've been able to to gain allies uh, in that way. I think that um, if the GOP are the ones that jump on the, the gun for supporting uh, the rights for gay marriage, then you know it looks a lot different you gain a lot of allies or lose a lot of allies depending on what side that you pick on this issue and i think that when you when you put pick and push a very easy rhetoric to push that's very hedonistic you can gain a lot of really cheap people that are very easy to win over onto your side without having to give much thought other than it's like oh well i'm homosexual and and these guys support me and so it's easy to join up on that side and i'm not meaning to put everyone under the same umbrella but all i'm saying is that when you have people that are that are saying we support these things and you conglomerate that over time with an abundance of people that are single issue voters it gives you a lot of people that are you know very easy to persuade to other agendas well and when you when you break it down and you just appeal to the lowest common denominator and i hate to you know uh reference people that way but a lot of people are single issue voters yeah and it's it's like well for, first of all i would like to let everyone know that the Libertarian Party has been the best on uh, LGBT rights uh, since the 70s. And yeah. I mean, Hillary Clinton, Obama were still against gay marriage in 2008. So, yeah, from the inception of the Libertarian Party, it's it, they've never once changed their position on it. It has always been very clear, um, yep. you know, what they've supported. So yeah. just saying that's, that's, that's where principles get you. That's where yeah. principles get you. 
<laughs> so it's it's interesting. I and I don't think politicians necessarily need to be the ones in the culture either. It's it's just that these ideas need to be introduced more thoroughly. Um, my my personal opinion is there there needs to be shame brought back to society. There are shameful things in life, and people should feel shame for those shameful things. And yeah. these are these are things that you can't legislate against, nor should you. Ab, dude, dude, that is a really good point because there are a lot of things in society. Like one of the classic libertarian questions is: if if a man chooses to go to the store and buy a raw chicken and proceed to have intercourse with it and then eat it, you know, is that wrong? Like it might be wrong, but we do not need to legislate against that. There's no reason we yeah. should. And <laughs> yeah. and when you legislate against obscure acts like that, it just creates a catastrophe. I mean, you have entirely fortunately overruled by the supreme court in a ruling in a some sort of texas law in 2005 but you have a whole bunch of situations where in utah it used to be considered statutory rape if a woman had her shoes off in the car with you and so you know when you put yourself into these situations to where you legislate shame uh you know you can create a lot of problems but if you can control these things through societal paradigms then that changes that changes a lot and it can guide people in the right direction. And you're always yeah. going to have people that are going to steer off. And you're always going to have people that fight against that. You're always going to have the fringe on either side of it. Um, the people that, you know, will exclude you from your business. If you have intercourse with the chicken that you cooked or whatever, <laughs> but, yeah. but you're always going to have the fringe on either side, but it's like, in reality, it's like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, eat the chicken with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's a really good point. I think you make a good point there. You know, it's it's I I think a lot of our our issues at least stem from cultural decline, you know. And there there's just a, a lot of issues and it's it's like if if you don't want to be shamed for these certain things, don't make it public. Yeah, you know, and that's a really good point and I think there's there's well, I want to ask you a question about this, but I think there's a huge uh push right now which is again like lowest common denominator right it, it's very easy for the left to scream the word tolerance and you know when when people are doing obscure things that probably should be frowned upon by society the left is sitting there calling for tolerance and that appeals to the lowest common denominator very well it makes for very strong rhetoric um but you know at the end of the day we are seeing a massive decline in culture and i think that we're seeing that uh, a little bit you know it's slowed down a little bit here in utah compared to other places in my opinion but um we are we are seeing a, a drastic decrease in the cohesion uh, that exists within cultures so i oh, guess yeah. my question for you is what do you what do you think is the leading cause of that tolerance yeah because where where do you draw the line you know yeah it's like if if you scream tolerance, then tolerance of what? It's and arbitrary. How much are you? Yeah, exactly. How much are you willing to tolerate? Like, for instance, like Drag Queen Story Hour uh, is a perfect example. It's a great example. Nobody had an issue with drag with drag shows until you involved children. Yeah. 
Well, and then it's like, obviously, we don't want our, like, well, I would say we as in who, but most people don't want their children to, to be in that. And it's like, yeah. that's fine if you want to do whatever. Frankly, for me, like, I want my little boys to be masculine football players. And it's not your prerogative to push that agenda onto me or my children. Yep. Another problem with public education, by the way. But the fact that you are going to call me some sort of bigot for not wanting my flesh and blood to be exposed to certain things is yep. just outrageous. Now, I, I, I do want to say that I do believe that it's, it's uh, tolerance of degeneracy is, is my personal opinion. And, you know, as far as what is degenerate, that's a little bit more subjective. Sure. Um, but I, I believe there, there is a very clear line of what is degenerate. Um, and I, I don't believe that this is specific to drag shows or anything. You know, I've been to drag shows. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, my, my cousins performed as a drag artist before and it's great, but there's a time and a place you know yeah um sure and in in an adult bar 21 and older is probably the appropriate place for a drag show yeah out in the streets during pride i don't want to see your cock and balls you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's, and it's just like a time and a place yeah and if and if and that's that's a part of like where you really see the bandwagon there's it's like well you're going to say tolerance for this one thing which you know, should be tolerated by government. Now, I don't necessarily think that every religion or every household has to feel the same way about gay marriage. Yep. That's each individual's prerogative based off of how or they want to run their lives. Or straight marriage, for that matter. Yeah, or straight marriage or marriage in general. Yeah, I know a lot of... <laughs> I'm not going to give names, but there's a very, very, very big influence in my life, which is always consistently telling me, you know, dude, you never have to get married. You never have to get married. Any, yeah. any sort of any of those things like that is it's like, well... You know, we have the responsibility to allow people to make their decisions in their own way, which kind of brings me back to this Thomas Jefferson quote where he says, you know, I swore at the altar of God to make myself an enemy to every sort of tyranny over the man of mind. And <laughs> I just you know, made that my uh, lock screen on my phone. <laughs> and it's phenomenal. And it and it exactly coincides with what you're saying where it's like, yes, like we, there is a time and place for these things. But the fact that you're going to use this popular phrase and manip and manipulate it to concepts where it's not even generally applicable is where you just get in, entirely like you're becoming a, an intellectual tyrant. Exactly. And I, I think that's what has ultimately led to the cultural decline that we see. And I think it is slowly picking up steam as more and more things have to be tolerant and less and less people are able to criticize. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it goes right into hedonism. You know, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact yep. where it's like, well, you can't shame my fetishes. And and now we're getting into oh, the whole sure minor. Attracted per <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now we're getting into the whole like tolerance for minor attracted per persons. And it's like, I'm getting to the point where it's like, I reject the whole idea that slippery slope is even a logical fallacy anymore, because we yeah. just see it play out so consistently. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I completely agree. It's it's one of these things, and and there there's a major issue with this in the Libertarian Party, uh, within the culture of the Libertarian Party, and I can't stand it. It's that just because, like, for for the uh, pro sex work people, I don't want people arrested for sex work, you no know. Way. But at the same time, 
I'm not going to promote it. I Absolutely. don't support it. It's not my thing. It's not the hill I'm going to die on. Yeah. You know, like this isn't, there's way bigger issues in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah, of course I don't want people arrested for it. That's ridiculous. Yes. But and, sex and work is sex work. It's not work, you know, because there's that famous, you know, sex work is work. No, it's not. It's sex work. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's certainly its own thing. I think there's a reason why, whether it's regulated or not, you look throughout society and it's its own thing, just like sex is sex. But when you look throughout society and not the same thing when it's with the minor, you know, yeah, you, exactly. you get into these concepts where it's like, like, yes, I, I think that the, the consequences of the government regulating or prohibiting sex work are dire. And I think it's much worse than having it legal. However, that doesn't mean that I'm going to tell anyone that I think they should do sex work. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't support it. I think it's degenerate. Yeah. You know? And I, I have no problem slut shaming. In fact, I think we should slut shame. No, I've se I've seen you I've seen you post about that recently and and you know this is where you get with the principles but you're very consistent like men or women. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's not cool for men or women. It doesn't benefit anyone. If you look at hookup culture, it doesn't make anyone happy. We're not better off as a society because of it and no. there we we've tried it. We've tried it since the 60s. It's not working. Let's stop because yeah it's <laughs> why keep doing the same thing over and over expecting different results yeah absolutely and and on the same note you know while we're talking about tolerance and and sex work being you know one of those things um you know are you a fan of comedy you know andrew schultz oh yeah oh, okay yeah. huge so, fan of comedy oh he's he's I, good good i love to hear that so andrew schultz you know great comedian um you know he was on joe rogan not too long ago and one one of the times he was on, he's been on a few times. He has this bit where he's like, you know, I can't stand fat models because, you know, I have to create a creative bit and I have to do something to make you laugh. I have to work for my attention, you know, and at least, you know, models that are fit have to get fit so that or at least remain fit so that they can have your attention. But the but the fat models are just riding on this whole idea where it's like, well, I'm fat and you have to respect me and pay attention to me. <laughs> and we yep. see that so much. It's just like, what are we doing? Like, and it's kind of like, ultimately, it goes back to markets. It's like, yep. I don't want to pay to see a fat model. I wouldn't want to pay to see a regular model anyways. But you know, you get the point. Yeah. But it's like people don't necessarily want to pay to see a fat model. But the fact that you're being an ideological and intellectual tyrant and you're forcing this down people's throats actually dilutes the market. Yeah. And it just turns people off to the whole idea in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and, and then you get a rebellion. <laughs> you know? that's, that's what it ends up being at the end of the yeah. day. You know, the people in France were sick and tired of the fat models. So they decided to start <laughs> chopping off the, the yeah, royalties. Exactly. Head. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So, well, we'll start wrapping up here, but I, I did want to touch on what, what was going on with you and the uh, Utah legislature and kind of what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, um, you know, I, you know, I, um, I was always cool with coming on the show. You know, when I was an intern, um, I got special permission from, uh, you know, House Majority Caucus staff. Uh, they said that it was fine. You know, my representative said that it was fine. Um, 
and I got to give a big shout out to Representative Kara Brickland. You know, I've I've got so much respect for the woman. She's uh, she's absolutely phenomenal. She's the most libertarian member of the Utah State Legislature. Uh, she's been a, a member of Young Americans for Liberty's Hasla Coalition pretty much since she became a legislator. Um, she's just she's just phenomenal, you know, and 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 I'm not going to comment on HB 11 last year because, you know, when you have public resources, everyone's going to be mad about how they're used in one form or fashion. Murray Rothbard makes a really good point about that yep. and for a new liberty. Uh, you know, should the should the road be used for a protest or should it be used for driving? You know, everyone's going to be mad one way or another. <laughs> yep. um, it's part of the tragedy of having public resources. Uh, so I'm not going to comment on that. But uh, Representative Berkland is is so phenomenal. And I have so much respect for the woman. Um, I have absolutely nothing bad to say about her as a legislator and as an individual. Um, but the, the LRGC, the Legislative Research and Guidance Council, the nonprofit, or sorry, not nonprofit, the nonpartisan sector of employees in the Utah State Legislature are the people that are in charge of hiring the interns. Um, you know, they do it through the programs through the universities. Um, and, you know, I was a, I was an intern I was you know, by the Libertas Institute I did a I did a, a a special academic program with them um and they suggested to me to do it um I wasn't planning on doing it I wasn't going to do it but they were the ones who said hey you should you should really do this um so I went and did it I requested representative Berkland she requested me um phenomenal experience it's been so fun and um, I've, you know, nothing against any of the, the people or the relationships that I had developed in that experience. Um, but the nonpartisan LRGC, um, had a minority intern, a Democrat intern, um, either in the house or Senate, I'm not sure which, um, and I was only able to put this together because of, of, you know, what I had been told, but they had uh, a Democrat intern tell them that I was talking bad on on Representative Berkland. And frankly, I just I was I heard that and I was just like scouring my brain like I don't even have anything bad to say. I just you know, I and not to mention that she's always been my biggest ally in the Utah State Legislature. I have nothing bad to say about her. And even if I did, I wouldn't have said anything, especially not to someone who clearly uh, hates me and my ideology and her and her ideology. Um but, you know, they they called me in one day for a meeting and I figured it was just, you know, maybe like a, a mid-session checkup. You know, they're just doing that with the interns. Um, and they told me that they were going to let me go. Uh, they didn't have any explanation for me. Um, I really pushed them on it. I said, well, don't you think as an employer you at least have you know, some sort of a responsibility in my professional development to let me know where I went wrong. And they were like, we're not going to talk about it. And so, uh, you know, they let me go without any explanation. I was able to figure out that, you know, a, a minority Democrat intern had had told them about that after the fact, um, which is just completely obscure and, and totally false. Um, but they let me go uh, without any sort of, um, you know, without any sort of corroboration or vouching for the situation. Um, and when an individual I'm very close to press them on their source about the instance, um, they first said, well, let's let, let us go back to some of the interns and see if we can get someone to corroborate or vouch for the story. And uh, when they had no answer for that, they said that 
we can't talk on the issue anymore. So they didn't tell me, they didn't tell Representative Berkland why, they didn't tell Weber State University why. Um, and and frankly, I, I cannot come up with any sort of an explanation for it, except for the fact that at some point in time, I must have been ideologically attacked and someone is doing this because they frankly just, they can't stand liberty. They, they need control or they have to play cheap. Um, and politics is a dirty game. And, you know, and when you have someone that tries to make friends with someone and it, with everyone and be as honest as possible in every scenario, uh, you know, that's honesty is not a virtue in a dirty game. Um, so there's there's still no explanation for it. There never was an explanation for it. And frankly, that explanation that I was able to give was purely a hunch. And even so, um, it's it, it's it's a travesty. Um, with that being said, I don't mean to be arrogant, but in terms of experience um, in politics, uh, you know, none of the other interns that I had talked to even knew their legislator going into it. And I was, you know, was very fortunate to be active enough to know Representative Berkland before I went into it and to have developed a relationship with her. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, you know, it's, if it's going to be me, then that's fine. You know, I've got the, I've got the, the connections and the network so that this isn't going to be detrimental to my career. I'm just, I'm just really glad that, you know, if any of the upcoming libertarians that are going to do that, um, are going to, uh, you know, have that happen to them. I'm, I'm glad it was me because I would hate to see another very strong liberty-minded person have that happen to them. And, you know, they hadn't had the opportunities or ability to put themselves in exactly the same position I've been able to put myself into. Well, that is un incredibly unfortunate to hear. However, I got to say, I'm not surprised. So um, those... Uh, I, Let's see. I'm I'm gonna pull up the quote real quick. It's uh, it's a rather good one that I've kept around. Let's see. It's uh, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. From Thomas Paine. Yeah, I mean Thomas Paine's phenomenal, and that's a great quote. I appreciate you sharing that with me, honestly, because you know you have that mindset, but to hear someone else articulate it to you, know, it's it's good to hear. And 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 frankly, you know, as a liberty-minded person, as someone who looks to take down the Leviathan that is the government and actually limit <laughs> its powers, as opposed to most people that go into politics, but actually yeah. goes in there specifically ideologically motivated to limit its powers, you're going to face some opposition, my friend. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's not easy, but you know, that it is what it is, but you know, they'll, well, I they'll can't imagine it's going to stop you though. Absolutely. So. They'll see me back. You know, that's, <laughs> I, I am, I am the, the nightmare that they've been able to, to temporarily put off. Um, but you know, I will yep. be back there. I will be back wreaking havoc for all of those that wish to tyrannize the people of Utah. Yep, that's what I said. Uh, me, me, and my wife went down um, to a, a Libertas and Americans for Prosperity training. They they just held an event and it was free. And I was like, I'm going. So we went down and I was walking through the Capitol and I was like, I hope you know I'm gonna be here one day. You know, I'm gonna be here in an official capacity. There's no stopping it. And she's like, Oh, I know, I know you're gonna be down here. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to make a lot of enemies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing, you know, is you can't, um, you know, someone that is, uh, you know, and, and the, the best part is, is the, the, the stories that we have been told growing up 
are all about these people that are fighting for the the right thing, the honesty, the the thing that they know is truly right. Um, people that are ideologically motivated, strictly in politics, um, you know, those are the people that are going to face the most opposition. But yep. those are also going to be the hardest people to break. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, honestly, it was a great pleasure to get you on, and I want I want to make sure and get you on again. Um, this, yeah. this is, uh, going to be a powerhouse show. You know, uh, one of the first things I said when I first started the show, I will be the largest Liberty podcast by the end of this. Let's go. I love to hear it, man. And I, and I love that you're, you know, able to not only look at the things that are national scale, not only the things that are culture, not only the things that are conspiracy, not only the things that are, you know, individual wellness, but, you know, on the local level, you've got a, a, broad diversity of, of subjects that you can touch on. Um, and I, and I'm here for it, my brother. I really am. I, oh, yeah. I'd love to see it continue. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, like I said, we'll definitely get you back on. Is there anything you want to plug your Twitter or any, anything else you want people to check out? No, not really. I mean, Utah Liberty Talk is pretty much dead. You know, I loved it. And, you know, I'm just, I, I don't know if I'm not good at the media side or I just wasn't consistent enough with it, but I took my, uh, my politic, uh, you know, the way that I, the way that I did things into a little bit of a different sphere. But, um, you know, if you want to reach out to me or uh, talk with me or engage with any of the, the content that I put out, I'm on pr Twitter pretty heavily. Uh, so it's at TR for freedom on Twitter. It's the number four TR for freedom. Um, so you can get me, I'd love, you know, love to see people on there, engage with more people. And, and I really appreciate you inviting me on the show. You know, I told you from the start, uh, oh, yeah. great, great show. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, anytime you were always welcome on this platform. And uh what we'll we'll wrap up on this question. It's it's a question that I love asking everyone um because everyone has a different answer. Um why does liberty matter in the first place? Oh man, why does it matter? That's that's a great question, you know. And you could and I can see why there would be so many different answers because you can really you know take that whatever way you want to. Um I th I think that it matters because I think that and, and this goes down to a very spiritual level for me. Um, but I, I think we're here to work on things as, as individuals, as spirits that we need to work on. Um, and I think that ultimately there is no better environment that fosters self-responsibility and accountability other than that where liberty is prosperous. That's well said. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. I enjoy that. And, uh, for everyone else, thanks for making it to this point in the program. Uh, make sure and check out Tyson's Twitter. He's always making great posts and always, uh, you know, going after those people. And I, I absolutely love it. So make sure to go to rise to liberty.com slash links where you can find everything related to the show. And until next time, stay free, my friends.